Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. This morning we turn to Psalm 19 as we go through our second group of 10 psalms. And we'll take a couple weeks on this psalm. It's a psalm that we're very familiar with. And so let's listen to it. It is the word of God and it is eternally true. Psalm 19 for the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. So again, the preface to this psalm is for the choir director. So it's to be sung, and a psalm of David, and so David is the one who wrote it. Now, David here fixes his attention and the attention of those of us who join him in worship on the two books that God has given us to lead us to himself, to lead us to the knowledge of God. And those two books we call the book of nature and the book of God. We refer to them sometimes as general revelation and special revelation. And verses 1 to 6 declare God's glory through the book of nature general revelation. And in general revelation, God reveals himself to all men. All men can see the heavens. All men can see the heavens expanse. All men hear their voice. All men see the line that they've written, the line referring to a line of text that you follow with your eye and you write. They used to use pointers as they read it because people didn't read very often. And so they would have a little pointer And you'd follow the pointer across like you do with your children and you teach them to read. And so that's what it means by speaking of the line that the heavens speak and of the utterances. So 
The heavens, their expanse, their voice, their line, their utterances, everybody sees these things. There's nobody that doesn't see them. You remember the great uh, fool that Doug Wilson went around the, company, the, the country debating? Do you remember this fool? His name's Christopher Hitchens. Now, I call him a fool because it says, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So I'm, I'm just saying what Scripture says. Well, Christopher Hitchens, uh, very, very, very highly educated man. Very bright, very sophisticated, good vocabulary, quick on his feet. Christopher Hitchens lived under the heavens. Christopher Hitchens saw the heavens. And what did he see when he looked to the heavens? Well, we have the authority of Scripture in telling us that he saw the glory of God. Christopher Hitchens didn't see the glory. He didn't see the grandness of, you know, nature. He didn't see the massive size of what science tells us is the magnificence of the heavens. Christopher Hitchens saw the glory of God. Now, think about that. Did Christopher Hitchens tell people that he saw the glory of God when he looked at the night sky or when he saw the sun going across the expanse? No, he refused to. Why did he refuse to? Because we know that when Christopher Hitchens looked up, he saw the glory of God. God. What Christopher Hitchens saw when he saw the sky, the stars, when he saw all the galaxies, what Christopher Hitchens saw was the glory of God. So why did Christopher Hitchens say there is no God? The heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse stretched out is declaring the work of his hands. Not just Christopher Hitchens, but every person who's ever lived on the earth, all times, all places, they have seen the glory of God. Why do we know this? Well, we know it because day to day it pours forth speech. It never stops speaking. We know it because night to night it reveals knowledge. Even at night it shows. All right? We know it because there's no speech or words where its voice isn't heard. In other words, all the languages are no problem. No problem at all. Because this language is universal. And it's universally understood by every person who's ever lived. All right? We know it because their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. Wherever that end is, gone to the end of the world. This is what we call general revelation. This is the book of nature. The book of nature is given to everybody. Next week, we'll turn to the second half of the psalm, which has to do with the book of God. 
The distinction between the book of nature and the book of God is that there's no one anywhere at any time who does not perfectly understand the book of nature teaching us about the glory of God. When it comes to Scripture, Scripture has always been the special gift, the special revelation of God for his people. And so, yes, Christopher Hitchens can deny the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ because this is knowledge that comes through God's word. This is knowledge that God only gives to those who belong to him. Christopher Hitchens can deny the sacrificial lamb. He can deny aspects of God's law. There are all kinds of things in Scripture that we don't know from nature, but only from Scripture. And Christopher Hitchens can lack the gift of God in being able to see the truth of God's Word. And so you have many, many people who don't believe that Scripture is God's book. They see it as just a record of one people group's search for transcendence. But not the heavens. Not the sun. Not the firmament. This language is universal, and it speaks to everybody the same thing. Everybody hears and sees the same thing, which is what? The glory of God. If anybody ever tells you they don't see the glory of God in, in the heavens, what are they doing? They're lying. They're just lying. Because Scripture tells us that everybody sees it, everybody hears it, everybody understands it, and everybody always has. Don't ever forget that. Don't, don't buy into this relativistic thing where I see one thing in the heavens and you see something else. No. Every human being made by God sees the same thing in the heavens, which is the glory of God. Now, do scientists see that? Well, yeah, they do. How do I know? Well, because I went on the internet and I found it in Wikipedia. <laughs> but that's not true. I, I, don't, I, don't recognize, I don't recognize Wikipedia as an authoritative source. Absolutely not. And so what I did was I went to the science director of Cambridge University Press. I went to a website called sciencenet.org.uk because I know Americans are stupid. Right? You have to go over to England if you really want to get educated. All right? If you really want to go to school. So this is what the Brits tell us about the heavens. Um... Dr. Simon Minton, the science director of Cambridge University Press, says this, quote, I find it impossible to imagine the true size of the universe. And continuing on this, on this website, we have this. If, and I'm reading, if we made a scale model of the sun using an orange, and then, then the earth would be a fraction of an inch across at the far end of an average size living room. So that means that if... if if, if I had an orange and I set the orange right here, okay, say it's about that big, right? And let's say this is the average size of a living room over to here. The earth would be just, just microscopic 
about this big. The orange would be about that big. The earth would be about, and it would be about that far from the sun, okay? The next closest star to the sun then would be 1,500 miles away. It's the next closest star to the sun, 1,500 miles away, all right? If the sun is an orange, which it's not, all right? Now, you know it takes a beam of light one second to go around the earth seven times, right? You all know that. That's the speed of light. A beam of light goes around the earth seven times in a second. So 1,000, seven times. All right? It takes the same beam of light 100,000 years to go across the Milky Way. That's our galaxy, right? Am I right? That is our galaxy, right? Okay, thank you. Now, there's more to the universe than the Milky Way galaxy. We're not the end of the universe. Okay, there are a whole, there are a whole bunch of galaxies. Whole bunch of them. Okay? Billions and billions of them scattered throughout the universe. And one of the closest is called the Andromeda galaxy. That's why it's in every science fiction movie. And you can see it on an autumn evening without a telescope or a binocular. It looks like a fuzzy patch of light, but it's bigger than our own galaxy. It is so far away that it takes two million light years for its light to reach us. Now that's from a few years ago. This is such an important psalm that I've preached it a number of times. And the thing I think is funniest about this sermon this morning is to look back over my sermons and to see how scientists' estimation of the universe has changed, the size of the universe. So when I first started preaching this psalm, the scientists told me that it was 10 billion light years across. Can, some of you can remember when it was 10 billion light years. You remember this, right? That's when I first started preaching. Then a few years ago, it was 14 billion, 15 billion light years. This was just a couple years ago, all right? But now, and I didn't, this time not Cambridge, but this time, again, I didn't trust Americans. I went to the BBC, all right? The British, British Broadcasting Corporation. And they had an article on June 13th of this year, and the article is titled, It Took Centuries, But We Now Know the Size of the Universe. <laughs> okay? Now, I'm reading from this article. Astronomers have worked out their salvation with fear and... No, wait. <laughs> Astronomers have worked out that the galaxies right on the edge of the observable universe must be 46.5 billion light years away. So wherever we are, we go to the edge of the observable universe, and it's 46.5 billion light years away. So that's the radius of the observable universe. And so to get the diameter, you double it, and that gives us 93 billion light years from one side of the universe, the observable universe, to the other, right? You're with me. 
And then they continue in this article, and it's, it's the rhetoric, the words, the language is, is interesting. They say, this figure rests on many other measurements and bits of science. And it is the culmination of centuries of work. But it is still a little rough. It's there, that's what they say. It's still a little rough. For one thing, given the complexity of some of the oldest galaxies we can detect, it's not clear how they were able to form so quickly after the Big Bang. One possibility is that somewhere a few of our calculations are not quite right. <laughs> if one of the rungs of the cosmic distance ladder is off by 10%, then everything's off by 10% because they rely on each other. And where things get really complex is when we try to think about the universe beyond that, which is observable. The whole universe, and they put it in quotes, the whole universe, as it were, it's funny, it's funny. The whole universe, as it were, the whole universe, as it were, recently, Scientists at the University of Oxford analyzed known data about objects in the observable universe to see if they could work out anything about the shape of the whole universe. So the whole universe is what you can observe. The known universe is what you can sort of observe. So what they're doing is they're extrapolating from what they sort of know about the parts of the universe that they can sort of see to the parts of the universe that they can't see but they think might be there. Wondering if what they know about this might give them an indication about this, right? And this is what they've concluded. The result, after using computer algorithms, I've heard that word my whole life, and I still don't have a clue what an algorithm is. I know Frank knows, but I don't think anything exists that I can't understand, honestly. Anyhow, the result after using computer algorithms to look for meaningful patterns in the data was a new estimate. The whole universe is at least 250 times as large as, is, as the observable universe. Now, come on, people. This is funny. This is really funny. So I did a little algorithm sort of extrapolation of my own, all right? And here's what I can, now I'm, I'm done quoting them and now this is me, you can quote me, all right? So with the known universe now estimated at a diameter of 96 billion light years and the unknown universe estimated at 250 times as large, we arrive at an estimated size of the universe that's 24 trillion light years from one end, whatever we mean by end, to the other. So now, since I last preached this text, we've gone from 15 billion light years to 24 trillion light years, and they're not sure about that. But they say there is no God. They say there is no God.
The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Aristotle said this, he said, should a man live underground and there talk about the works of art and the works of mechanics and afterwards he, he was brought up into the open day and he saw this, the glories of the heavens and the earth. He would immediately pronounce them the works of such a being as we define God to be. And people, this is the message of the book of nature. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 1, 20 and 21, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they, referring to the unbelievers, the atheists, the godless, so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Notice telling, present participle. They never stop. They never shut up. The same with declaring the work of his hands. It never stops. It's ongoing. Day to day, night to night. You see it in the day, you see it at night. It's seen by all men everywhere. There is no speech or any words, their voice is not heard. Their line, the line of text, the line of writing has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the earth. So the whole world reads this book. The whole world understands the message of this book. The whole world sees beyond the nighttime sky, it sees the dignity that God has given in the sun. In them, verse 4, in other words, in the heavens, he, God, has placed a tent for the sun. In other words, he's given it an abode, he's given it a house, he's given it boundaries and a place to shine from. Which is, is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. This is the dignity it has, the glory. It's handsome, it's, it's, prep, it's perfectly ready to take his wife. This is the sun. This is the glory that God has given the sun to show his own glory, God's. Verse 5, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. You think of a, of a racer. I was watching a video yesterday of, uh, of uh, that man, <laughs> that man, that druggie that kept winning the Tour of France. And this famous race where he turned, and I forget, what's the name of the, his, his number two all the time? Uh, what was his name? Huh? If you're going to say it, you have to say it so somebody else can hear you. Huh? No, it wasn't Landis. It wasn't the U.S. team. It was the other guy. Anyhow, this was the guy that was always finishing number two to his number one. And it shows him on the worst climb of the tour and it's getting to the end and it's a steep incline and it has this movie of him just turning around 
and looking in the guy's face. And I mean, he spends a long time looking right behind him at this man. And then he faces forward and he just, he just absolutely buries him. <laughs> he just, you know, and he's saying, okay, see if you can do this. And he takes off. And before we're too hard on Lance Armstrong, the New York Times a little while ago did a, a graph since 1998 of the top 10 finishers in the Tour de France. And how many of them have been found guilty or have confessed to using drugs? And a lot of the individual places for each position in each year were filled with people that have done drugs. And you think about Lance Armstrong and the pride of that man. As he, as he went out on his race to take his prize. And this is what the son is. The son takes pride. The son is like a strong man who's going out to win his race. And that's a pretty good image for the son. The son will stop for no one other than God. <laughs> and the son is strong. And, and it says that there's no place that can hide from the son. I was thinking about the heavy, heavy canopy of a, of a jungle, of a rainforest. And you, you look at the little pieces of moss way down at the very, very bottom, under plant after plant, layer after layer, and the sun gets to that moss and gives its life. And I was thinking about if you were to take a torch down into a deep, deep mine, what is the torch but the light of the sun? What is it that gave life to the plants that now are burning, giving light underneath? It's the sun. There's no place. You, you go outside in these hot days we've had, and there's no escaping the sun. If you go under the shelters at Carts Farm Park, the heat is oppressive. Even if you're out of the, the range of the rays, and this is the glory in the day that we have from the sun. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing hidden from its heat. And so, how do you explain atheists? How do you explain an atheist? I've always explained, to myself at least, Christopher Hitchens, knowing that his mother committed suicide. I think an awful lot of time, the, the person who who spends their life denying the existence of God is a person that has terrible hatred for God. Something has to motivate somebody to spend their life denying the existence of the one that the heavens never stop proclaiming. But you know, beyond the question of how you explain an atheist, how do you explain those who refuse to worship God while acknowledging that he exists? How do you explain those who say that homosexuality is good? Who refuse to have any shame 
when the heavens declare the glory of God? How do you explain those who think that they can please God by going through certain ceremonies and rites? You know what I mean by that? They think they can jack God around by little doohickeys that they carry and the priests that use the doohickeys. You know what I'm saying? When the heavens declare the glory of God. If, if you see the glory of God in the heavens, isn't it obvious that the only possible way that you can worship God is to confess your sin? Isn't it obvious that that's the one thing that God requires of us? That we declare him to be glorious and us to be nothing. You know, you think about a little child who's, say, just walking. And the child's mother says, come to mommy. And the child looks over his shoulder and he just keeps running. But of course, the average living room is only from here to there. And even if he runs to the end of the living room, he's not escaped his mother. His mother's still there saying, come to mommy. And yet that little tyke will just willfully run away from his And if she moves herself from here to here, he'll run over there. She moves herself over to here and he'll run over there. She moves herself here. And that little tyke is absolutely convinced that he has his own will and his will won't submit to his mother. And that's infinitely more uh, reasonable than you and me refusing to give God the glory that he deserves. God has us five to six to. And then if vir by virtue of weirdness, six, five. That, that be you, Curtis? Six, six? God has this 175, 100, to 175, and maybe a little more. We're just this big and just this big around, and our brains are very, very small. And we say that God doesn't exist and that we won't worship him. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And the firmament is showing his handiwork. It does it day after day. It does it night after night. The sun is put in a tabernacle by God. The sun comes out of it dressed like a bridegroom. The sun is set on the course. The sun accomplishes the course. There's no place that escapes the sun heat. And we think that if we wear what would Jesus do bracelets... Or if we get baptized, or if we take the Lord's Supper, or if we kill chickens and pour their blood out, or if we make a pilgrimage to the Louvre, that God is pleased. And the heavens tell us the glory of God.
It really is a good image to think of a little toddler trying to exercise his will running from his mother or his dad or his older brother or sister and the hopelessness of his cause. He can't open the door. He can't hide himself. You think of Adam and Eve after they sin, trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. And it was impossible. Adam, where are you? And this is our world. This is the world we live in, where because we're able to explain the forces, because we're able to describe how big the universe is, how far across, what its radius, what its diameter is, that we think that we have circumscribed God and religion. And it's, it's absolutely a joke. God has made us to worship him. God has not made us to worship the size of the heavens. You know, you think about an astronomer spending his life denying the existence of God and studying the heavens. This is insane. Because the heavens are telling him the glory of God, but he thinks the heavens are telling him that he should do better calculations about what the radius and the diameter are. And it's about like the little toddler that won't come to his mother. It's our privilege to worship God. And God is not Allah. God is not Buddha. God is not Marx or Confucius. God is not a sociological or political ideology. God is not a feminist. (laughs) Sorry. God's not a feminist. God's a father. And fathers are never feminists. God's not a laissez-faire capitalist, and he's not into democracy. You know, you want to know what God thinks about democracy, you go look at every time the Israelites complain in the wilderness. That's what God thinks of democracy. God is God. And the heavens are telling the glory of God. And if the heavens are telling the glory of God, that means that God is to be worshipped. And if we spend our time worshipping nature, you know, the Green Party, everybody's hoping the Green Party may be able to take over from either the Democrats or the Republicans. And then we can be as sophisticated as Europeans who worship the creation and deny the creator who is to be forever praised. I remember one night when my dad was speaking at a camp outside of Colorado Springs, The adults' kids all went away on a camping trip for the night. And the camping trip was up on top of some mountain above Colorado Springs. It wasn't Cheyenne Mountain. I don't know what mountain it was, though. And we had this view out over the plains, you know, the foothills right off the side of the mountain. We weren't deep in the mountains, the Rockies. And I remember looking out over the city, and the first thing that hits you is how small people are. (laughs) Because... At night, it's just these tiny little twinkling lights of the city. You're so many thousands of feet up in the air. And so you're, you know, it's kind of romantic because it's, it's the works of man, you know. And, oh, doesn't that look pretty? It's not actually pretty, you know. You know, if you were to go down in Colorado Springs, there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of real ugly there. Right? Mary Lee and I used to... Th- 
had these romantic thoughts when we drove through these little towns at night. And then we lived in Partyville. 1,500 people, and we realized none of those little towns you drive through are actually nice at all. <laughs> you know, we had to live there to know that. But then, after we looked out at Colorado Springs, we were standing up. Then what happened? We all lay down. And it was mind-boggling. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've never seen it in the Boundary Waters and all the trips there. And the reason in the Boundary Waters, every time you lie down, there are trees above you. Unless you're out on the lake. But there, there were no trees. There was nothing blocking our sight. We were way up, so the atmosphere was, was clean. And there the sky opened up and the brilliance of the night sky was mind-boggling. And what happens is a little child, you worship God. The one who made it, the one who's speaking his glory to you through it. Rita Cuffey is the mother in Israel that helped start this church, godly woman. She and her husband both studied astronomy. And I had known him for a number of years when she gave me an article one time, and the article was on light pollution. Rita, Rita was angry about light pollution, right? And uh, I read about how nobody in the world, other than maybe one place in Africa and one place in Australia, I remember there were two places they mentioned, can you even see anything approximating the night sky that David would have seen or anybody would have seen until a few centuries ago. And they, 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 they described the brilliance of the Milky Way before light pollution hit the world. It's just unbelievable. And that's just our galaxy. So what is the application of this? Well, the application is don't let anybody fool you. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. There's not one person that hasn't heard the language. And so when you call people to worship God and to confess their sins, every single person you do that to knows you're right. Don't let them shake you off the trail. They know you're right because they see the glory of God. And when you see the glory of God, you know who you are. And it's not pretty. And you know you're made to worship him. That's the first thing. The second thing is, everywhere you look in nature, see the glory of God. It's not just the sky at night and the sun at day. This morning when I came in, it was very early, so it was still dark, and the water was pretty impressive, right? Are we impressed by water? This week, Nathan and I came over to talk to Mr. Mike as he built us his building. And Mr. Mike took his hands and he put them on Nathan's shoulders and he made Nathan look. We were over at that end and he made him look at this end of the new building. And if you look at this end of the new building, you will see that up near the top of the roof is a... Uh, is a piece of steel that goes the length of the building and it starts higher than it is when it hits this wall right here. 
And he asked Nathan if Nathan thought that was a mistake, what he thought it was for. Well, Nathan didn't know. And then Mike told him, Mr. Mike told him, that piece of steel that is in an angle is because, and then Mr. Mike began to talk about rain. Remember that? And Mr. Mike said, this building is almost an acre large. And he said, Nathan, if you get one inch of rain on an acre, how many gallons of water do you have? And Nathan said, I don't know. And Mr. Mike said, oh, oh, you don't remember? 28,000. 28,000 gallons. And then he said, and Nathan, how much does every gallon of water weigh? How much is a gallon of water? Come on, speak up. That's right. 8.3 pounds. Very good, half right. And then Mr. Mike said, Nathan, what is 8.3 times 28,000? Mike, where are you? Is Mike not here? Oh, there he is. No, I can't see him. He's not here, is he, Aaron? He's putting up his hay? Oh, he's fixing his roof. That's right. I heard there was a hole in his roof this morning. Am I right at 28 or is it 24? I think it's 28. Anyhow, 8.3 times 24 would be what, Frank? Huh? 7.2 what? Okay, 200,000 pounds. And then he said to Nathan, Nathan, if 200,000 pounds sat on that roof, what would happen to that roof? It would collapse. So he said, you have to put a pitch in that roof so that it will flow off the roof. And all of it's going to flow into that pipe right there, which already is pretty loud when it's raining hard. And it's going to get doubled again. So I come over this morning, and the water is impressive, and I go to unlock the door, and what do I find on the door? Most beautiful thing in the world, I find a little tree frog about that big, clinging to the glass. And the beauty of God's handiwork in this world is mind-boggling. Even bad smells are fascinating. You don't have to like them to be fascinated. And this is the God that we adore and that we worship. We see a little baby given birth to. It's hard to say whether the heavens at night or the little baby are more glorious. And so 
we, more than anybody, should understand this universe and should study it because it tells us the thing that we agree with, which is that God is glorious. And we're humble. And we worship him. And we give ourselves exuberantly to worshiping him because wouldn't it be stupid if the God that made that tiny little thing hanging on the glass when I come and give it such a loud voice and we just had no joy in singing his praises. I mean, you know, that's one application. If God is, chooses to glorify himself with the dimensions and the handiwork of everything that he's made, how perverse when people like us have no joy in singing to him. Right? That would be stupid. Well, we'll come back next week and study the book of God, the special revelation, which is God's word. And we'll specifically get to the place where it says that the fear of the Lord is clean. It's right. It's pure. Because that's a, that's a wonderful thing for us to remember today when there seems to be no fear of the Lord, you know? So this is a safe psalm because it does confirm in us what we know. And if we're humble, if we're humble, we can give ourselves to worshiping God. He's glorious. And everything he made, everything he made, is endlessly telling everyone of his glory. And we see it. Father, would you give us humility and meekness so that we will give you the praise that is your due. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.